0: Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high-income earners come to learn wealth-building strategies that will take them from high-income to high-net-worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth-building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie.
1: Welcome into the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth-building podcast for high-income earners. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host. You know him as Rod, the pods of brisky. Rod, what is up? Hey, hey
2: I am doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Can I, did I tell you? I don't think I told you this actually. Um, no, maybe I did. But we picked out the floor plans for the house. Oh, so you! I'm excited. I, you didn't
2: tell me that. You yeah, said you're we're, meeting with the builder. We're making but...
1: real progress. Ah, that's good. Met news. with the builder. We've got our big old piece of land. Although I I wanted two acres, Rod. We could mm-hmm. not find two acres together. So we're having to go with one acre but we still have our little compound ready to build okay well maybe excited about it
2: maybe you can strong arm whoever owns next to you yeah
1: well actually okay so that's actually it there was the person next to us was was going to sell they made a verbal agreement with the builder that they would sell to us Mm -hmm. but then they pulled back at the last minute so technically it's still open and available and like i could you know I could rub shoulders with them and see if we can, you know, make a deal. That's my plan.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: (laughs) there's still hope for two acres, but uh, anyway, that's what's going on in my world. So later today I'm going back to kind of finalize a few things, but we're excited to get rocking and rolling. That's a big, a big
2: uh, landmark there to to pick the floor plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult decision. Okay. Rod, what about you? What's new with you? Anything? Well, uh, Yes, we have a lot going on. Much is afoot at the Zabriskie household, <laughs> uh, including so Jefferson. Uh, uh, he just graduated, and he is heading out on a mission. So, okay. uh, as of the time, by the time this thing broadcasts, he will no longer be in our home. He will be all right. Jefferson's training out. and on his way to Brazil.
1: Mm. Adios, Jefferson. We'll see you in two. That's right. Okay. But can I just tell you, at least you get to like talk to them regularly now, True. right? Yeah.
2: Yep. Weekly okay. we'll, we'll right. still be on doing zoom and all that kind of thing. Okay, cool. All
1: right. Well that's, ex- that is big though. I mean, it's difficult. I can imagine for a parent to say goodbye to a kid for a long period of time like that without yeah. knowing that there's going to be like, you know, limited contact at
2: least. Yeah. And, and not knowing much about where he's going, et cetera. It's pretty wild. We'll all live it together. So,
1: okay, sounds good. Uh, and then
2: what else you got going on? Spencer is getting married. Man, yeah, it's like I said, much afoot.
1: It is wild. And that's happening like in a week or so, like oh, later this week, next week, next week, next week. Sorry, I'm getting all confused. Yeah, okay, well, congrats to one thing, congrats to both Jefferson and Spencer. Um, Gosh, Rod, that means I'm gonna have to give them some money now. Dang I mean, it. there's no have to. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I get to, I get to support them in their endeavors. Okay, Rod. Well, really that's exciting. Congrats. Yeah. Um, today, Rod, we're gonna talk about the high income tax trap, effective strategies for tax minimization. That's our title. I love um, it. and I'm excited to talk about it, it which sounds a little bit like. Well, let's just say this: nobody's ever excited to talk about taxes, right? The good news is here. I'm not talking about my own taxes because, like, I just tell you, (laughs) I hate, I Uh, despise talking about and dealing with my own taxes. Like, the, it's just insane. I just can't get, I can't avoid it long enough. Um, Luckily, I have you and my wife and other wonderful people who can make sure that we get all of the tax stuff taken care of. Uh, But in this situation. We're just going to be talking about taxes in general, and we're going to be hitting on some tax strategies for high-income earners, Mm -hmm. things that you can be considering as potential opportunities to lower your tax bills and um, improve your overall tax strategy. Absolutely. So that's the plan. Sound good? Yep. I'm ready. Okay, Rod, before we do that, quick announcement. Uh, We've been doing our live webinar series every month. And can I just tell you, it's been way better than the weekly webinars, right? The kind of weekly short webinars, Mm -hmm. um, because it was hard to promote and kind of get get the word out on what we were doing. So we decided to pull that back, do them monthly, and we're really putting more time, energy, effort into each each one of our column presentations, because Mm -hmm. we really want them to be useful impactful actionable stuff that people can use so that said the next live webinar that we're going to be doing is called from owner to investor how to plan prepare and profit and we're going to talk about business exit strategies in more detail and uh likely we'll have a guest with us i'm not going to say his name yet because i got to make sure he's on board uh, now I shouldn't say he's on board. I should make sure that he's available because he's most certainly on board. So anyway we we could have and likely will have a really um, knowledgeable experienced guest who really knows the space well.
2: Okay and that is scheduled for October 12th at 11 a.m.
1: Oh thank you. that's important. I missed that okay October 12th at 11 a.m. Mountain time. Um, We'll make sure that we provide um, a recording of it afterward. But uh, to hear it live, jump on there, and you know we'll do questions and stuff. So there's a lot of benefits to being yeah. on live. Okay, Rod, let's jump into it. So the high income tax trap. The reason we want to talk about this might be really obvious, but um, income taxes is one of our like closest companions as high income earners,
2: right? It follows you around so, very closely. Yeah,
1: yeah, we're intimately involved and familiar with taxes. And, and everybody is, right? But like as a high-income earner, from a percentage perspective, it grows, right? <laughs> um, unless you're able to utilize the tax code and come up with ways to mitigate some of the tax consequences that just exist for being fortunate enough to to create a significant income. So that's the reason. We want to help people make that jump to a lower tax bracket.
2: Yeah even as their incomes going
1: higher. Income up, tax down. Now, that is one of the kind of beautiful things about the capitalistic world we live in. You hear it all the time like or or you see like some of these ultra wealthy families and their, you know, their tax rate. I remember Mitt Romney when he was running for president mm-hmm. um and you know, he had like a 40 million dollar income in the year if I remember right and i think he was paying like a 16% effective tax rate or something like that something like that and people were up in arms right yeah. or at least some people were up in arms i mean there's there's about half the country that wasn't but mm. half the country that was up in arms about the this idea that hey this ultra wealthy dude is is paying as little tax from a percentage perspective mm-hmm. sig- significantly more in money in actual dollars right but from a percentage perspective paying basically the same or less than some like of the middle-income America. Right. That's pretty wild. Now, the good news is is that anybody, I really believe that anybody, regardless of where you're at from an income perspective, can make their tax planning more effective with a little bit of effort. Okay, But that certainly exists if you're a high-income earner and an investor and a business owner in particular. Right. Okay. Let's get into it, Rod. Um, Before we do our kind of broad list, our exhaustive list of tax strategies, let's talk about some of the common pitfalls, common misconceptions that come along with this idea of the high income tax trap. So kick us off.
2: Yeah. The first one is, it, it's a really a shocker for people as they're moving to the higher income categories because they think higher income automatically equals higher wealth or even potentially like higher take home, Right. And I, we've had a few calls with people who were like right in the midst of that. And just the look on their face, the their demeanor, it's just such a blow. It's a—it's just a kick to the stomach when you say, I, well, man, I made a lot more money. Why does it not feel like I'm taking any more home?
1: You know, what's funny, Rod, is it's a common like narrative that that this happens. And yet I think it's one of those things that you have to live it in order mm-hmm. to get it right. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things where w- when you're not at that space, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. That's just something like high income yeah, earners you, to make right? the rest yeah. of us feel better. Right. But, yeah. but then you get there and you're like, Oh, yikes. I like worked really hard. I've done all these yeah. things. And now X, Y, Z percent, 30, 40% of my income is
2: going down yeah. to Uncle Sam. That can be like a big I blow. It, I feel like I made it to the promised land and it's not quite everything. yet. Uh, it was, Built up to be.
1: Okay, Rod. The next one is thinking tax avoidance and tax evasion are the same thing. Now we say this one kind of tongue in cheek because I'm I'm hopeful that nobody actually thinks that those are the same thing. One of them will put you in prison and the other one will reduce your tax bill. Yeah. So there's like that's a pretty significant difference. Um but you know the idea here is just and you had a different thought on this, Rod, but the thought that I had was just literally. Avoidance versus evasion, making sure that we're delineating effectively the difference between strategies, right? Because there's basically, you know, you've got your your white, your black, and your gray, mm-hmm. and you've got to determine how comfortable you are in those spaces. But uh, obviously, if we play in the white spaces, we're not going to have any issues with this. It becomes difficult, though, if we're being very honest, as a high income earner to not at least consider some of those things that might be. And when I say gray, I'm not talking about ethically gray. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, like, the tax code isn't uh, necessarily as clear and direct on specific points that make it very clear. You know what I mean? Right.
2: Right. And there are things when we get into our list, there are probably other things that we could have included and maybe would have included within the last few years, but are less clear now than yeah. they were then the IRS kind of moves the line sometimes and here on this one the the thing that I always think about is uh, I've heard you know Tom Wheelwright speak many times and it seems like almost every time he, he brings up this this idea that there are people who say well man isn't it just like all these tax savings isn't that like not right like I should parent I, people maybe they're not talking about this as people should pay their fair share of taxes what's what's the deal with all this kind of tax savings talk here. And his point is always that well, the code is the code, right? There are specific things that the government wants to incentivize people to do, and one of the ways they incentivize you to do it is to give you a tax break if you if you participate in it, things like building a business, things like providing housing, et cetera and so it's if you are are quote unquote taking advantage of those uh parts of the tax code that allow you to save on your taxes, you're actually participating in the very activities that they want you to participate in.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Right. I like this next one. Um, and I know it's your turn, but I'm going to hit on it first. We're going to talk about neglecting long-term tax planning in for, in favor of short-term gains. The reason I like this point is because I, I had a thought about this. So This is, and this is going to sound a little bit self-serving. So you're going to have to take the more, uh, the Uh. neutral, uh, what am I looking for? Balanced approach. Yeah. You're going to take that approach, uh, but I'm just going to take the, the approach that sounds, that potentially sounds a little more self-serving. So here's what I was going to say. We see this all the time with people, um, when we're talking about like the investment optimizers as Mm -hmm. a strategy, Mm -hmm. right? So. Life insurance is one of the tools obviously that has tax benefits and and part of the investment optimizer concept is a tax component that creates long-term savings from a tax perspective. Um that's not all, right? That's just one kind of small part over uh, you know several pieces, but one of the things that we see that makes that, that can be hard for people is that we kind of when we put money into a life insurance policy initially there's a cost to it right? Mm-hmm. And so the same concept applies, right? Like it's hard to take on a short term. In this case, in this case, it's a short term cost, mm-hmm. even if the long term is significantly more favorable. Well, this is just like the opposite of that, right? Yeah, we maybe we have a situation where we can get a really big tax a tax benefit today. Let's say that it's oil and gas. I'm not saying oil and gas is good or bad. But let's just say I'm in a, you know, a, a tax situation you know, I have a big tax bill. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. And maybe I get a little excited and I go all in on, um, so oil and gas and it blows up in my face. Right. Like that's kind of the point. Um, I think the idea here is that there has to be some balance. There's certainly opportunities within the tax code to get Mm short-term, um, favorable opportunity, you know, to take advantage of short-term favorable opportunities, but you don't want to sacrifice the long term at least not completely in favor of the short term
2: yeah yeah and a couple other examples come to mind is in a similar vein but um I hear about people who will basically they're just dumping money down the drain to save on the taxes in uh supposed like business ventures um, and they're exciting business ventures like the one that comes to mind is is buying exotic cars nice. okay. for to, to to rent out so again it's it's a legitimate uh-huh. business purpose and yet there's not really a lot of gain to be had in doing it. So they're just spending a lot of money, saving on the tax, hmm. getting the chance to drive this this cool car for a little bit and then put it into the rental market and and again maybe don't make much money off of it. So anyway. Okay, okay. Okay. You know, it could be it could be
1: an experiential
2: situation, but you're I, saying
1: probably not a real significant tax benefit.
2: Yeah, it's like, interesting. and the reason I say that is because again, all of those dollars are deductible that they're dumping into it, but they're, if they're in a 30 or 40% tax bracket, they dumped a bunch of money to save on 30 to 40%. And again, I'm not saying it doesn't create those savings. It just, I'm not sure that the, the benefit that comes out of it justifies doing it.
1: Okay. That's a fair point. Rod, Take us into our next point.
2: Yeah. So next one is failing to consider the tax implications of investment decisions. So there are obviously, well, we talk about this all the time, right? In, in investing, it's the, the biggest, boldest uh, decision maker is the return. What kind of return can I expect off of this? And it, when people are calculating the return, they're not often taking into consideration things like, the tax savings that you get with it. We, mm, we talk about wait, a lot of other wait, things. Wait, 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 Rod. Well. When
1: you say people, you're not talking about the people listening to this. I sure hope not, because they're they would be offended <laughs> by you saying that. Because yeah. most certainly they are 100 percent considering the tax implication. Of they better by now. They better by now. Okay, I think they are. That's what I'm trying yep, to tell you. Good. I think this is a you issue, Rod. It's,
2: good. Okay. They they're on they're <laughs> in the right place. You just need so when I, I say people, people I mean them. me. I have to make sure that I'm considering that.
1: Well, people and the people outside, you know, the okay, people okay, that yeah. need to be invited into the inner circle.
2: There you go. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to take you no, out no. of your, your groove. My apologies. Uh, okay. So that is a big one though. Obviously this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about ideas, strategies, and investments that create um, tax benefits. And yep. so not not paying attention to the actual tax ramifications of specifically of investment decisions makes a big impact because like Mm -hmm. you said, I could, I could generate huge short-term returns potentially, or, or maybe they're, they're huge to me, but there's places I could get long-term returns that are every bit as good. And yet, you know, I'm taking a short-term gain, having to pay the short-term capital gain instead of the long-term. And now I'm, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul.
2: Yeah. Does that work in that situation, Rod? Yeah, kind of. Well, it kind of, because I would say yes, because <laughs> like, if you say, well, this one gives is, you know, and let's say you really could see from the beginning to the end. So this one is going to give me a 30% return. This one's going to give me a 20% return. I'm going to go over on the 30 without considering, oh, but if, if on the 20% plus bonus depreciation, plus we're getting this in a minute, leverage, etc., ter- could turn that return into 40 to 50 or plus. Then obviously, that's very different than 30. So, okay. Both, both okay. sound like great returns, right? But
1: yeah, know, we're not, looking at the we're whole
2: not complaining if that's the situation. Okay.
1: Um, but I think that's important. And finally, Rod, we have to make sure that we're seeking professional tax advice. Yeah. So, one of those common pitfalls is obviously thinking you can do it all by yourself. Now, I do want to clarify here because I think that inside the alternative investment world, there is like a a fair amount of DIY that's happening out there Mm -hmm. Um, just because the advisor relationships don't look the same as they do. Like your everyday financial advisor who has access to all the stocks, bonds, and mutual funds that are traded on the exchanges. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, In our case, we have to create relationships and like all these with, with different groups of people. We have to um, do a lot of vetting. We don't have as much, ability to rely on outside sources to do that stuff for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the dynamic is, is different in it. Uh, but anyway, getting back to my point here, I do think that there's this element to needing to be thoughtful and smart in your own investments, not rely, overly rely on outside advice. But having said that, it's still critical to get outside advice, right? Like yeah. there's just so much you you could potentially miss by, uh, thinking that you can do do it all on your own. And when I, when I say do it all, I'm specifically talking about tax planning. Doing all right. your tax planning yourself, not a good idea unless you're a tax guy.
2: Yeah, the tax code is so nuanced that you may think you understand and you may even have gone through a situation where you're like, oh, this is the way it went. And so I made these decisions and this is how it turned out tax wise. So then the next time I just assume I'm gonna be able to, to do the same thing. But there may be just the slightest thing that's a little bit different in terms of timing or, or exactly what you're investing in or whatever. So we, we hire good tax advisors, y- use them, right? Ask the questions. just say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Just want to make sure that I'm, I'm on board with what these tax implications are.
1: Ooh, and can I just tell you, it's not easy to pick a good tax advisors. It does take work to find them. Mm-hmm. So I'll just, I'll just lay it out there. Yes. Okay, Rod. Now, Let's get into the fun stuff, right? We're going to get into our exhaustive list of tax potential tax strategies and ideas that people, high income earners could use to reduce their taxes. Sweet. Okay. You ready for it? I'm ready. Um, and this is a this is a pretty big list. So we'll we'll see. Okay, I'm going to start out with tax deferred accounts, tax qualified accounts, whatever you want to call it. Um, we talk about this a lot as a potential like we talk about it as both good and bad, right? Mm -hmm. We're kind of nuanced as it relates to this. Now, technically it is a tax strategy in the sense that I'm deferring taxes to a future point. And there are many situations where this can be really valuable. We talk Mm -hmm. about it primarily when you're in a catch up situation, maybe you haven't saved as much, or maybe you had your higher income came later in life, whatever it is. If that's the case, then it could make more sense to do that. Um, And you know, if you've got a defined benefit plan at work or something like that that you're having significant contributions to, all those things could be valid reasons to do it. But again, we would look at this as a little more nuanced and say that it could be a good tax strategy. It also could be a crutch that's gonna make you pay a lot more in tax over time. So take it, take both sides of that sword. Okay, Rod, talk about talk about tax efficient investing. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So now when we're talking about the investing that you're doing that is in kind of the traditional world, uh, we'll, we'll start there anyway, um, you know, f- focus on long-term capital gains. So in other words, when you're in like just a, a general mutual fund, for example, and they're buying and selling all the way, all the time, a lot of that buying and selling happens within a year, which puts it in to your ordinary income tax bracket instead of if they... If they wait a year between the buying and the selling then it turns into long-term capital gain which could turn your tax from a 30 to 40 percent down to a 15 to 20 percent so um do you know make sure that the the investing you're doing is is focusing on that Um, but then also um, tax loss harvesting some of these other you know strategies that are hopefully already built into this type of investing um well, here's the deal. If
1: you're if you're a traditional, uh, especially if you have non-qualified brokerage accounts, there's really no reason not to be doing this kind of mm-hmm. investing. If there's no reason not to be utilizing tax loss harvesting, right? Yep. So take advantage of the losses to offset some of the gains. It's a win. Um, again, if you're in that space, it just makes sense to use it. Okay, Rod. We love to get into real estate. Um, why don't you hit on some of the many tax advantages that
2: come from investing in real estate. Yeah. Real estate investing, uh, two main categories I want to focus on. The first one is that by itself, it creates tax advantage, tax savings, right? As opposed to in, in the first couple of points, maybe, maybe tax deferral. In this case, it's tax savings uh, because of things like depreciation, including the bonus depreciation with cost segregation, all that kind of thing. Um, but then secondly, Anyone who, who's investing in real estate, they've also created a, basically created a business. And when you have yeah. a business, then you, you have other deductions you can do. So for example, let's say that you, you know, you, your family takes a, an annual trip to whatever Disneyland or, or to, you know, the lakes in upper Michigan or whatever. If you happen to own some real estate in that area and you're, and you're traveling to that point, well, now that becomes a business expense. you may you may play around while you're there as well but but for uh purposes of of this you're checking in on your your business your property so by being strategic in the way that you purchase your real estate in conjunction with the other things that you're doing and you have these expenses that can be deductions that all can be wrapped into this category
1: yeah so So business ownership and real estate investing really do kind of go hand in hand together. Mm -hmm. That's a good thought. Okay, Rod, 1031 exchanges. We don't talk a lot about it. Most people know what 1031 exchanges are. It's just a way to move money from one real estate property to another, like to like. Um, As long as things are the same, then we can keep the money that's in there going to the next one. There's some rules and things that we won't go into, but um, 1031 exchanges are a good way If you're in a situation where, where it may—that's kind of ironic. They're good if it makes sense. Rod, like (laughs) 1031 exchanges are great if it makes sense. Um, When does it make sense? It usually makes sense when it when I don't want to take on the tax the the taxable income that comes with actually selling the property. And I'm able to and comfortable with another investment opportunity that's there and available. Right. So in that situation, it's obviously a really powerful tool. And I can continue to defer those taxes inevitably so far to to the point. When I actually die and I get a step up a basis, so Mm -hmm. like from that standpoint, it could be a very long term, powerful tax strategy to create, quote unquote, generational wealth.
2: Yeah. And one of the only exceptions right now, and it's and it's specific to now and, and maybe, you know, going away probably even after this year, but with but bonus depreciation, there can be some advantages to just selling and buying without doing the 1031 exchange and still getting as good of a tax benefit, if not better. Um, and then you don't have to play with the rules of the 1031, et cetera. So so look at that closely. If you're if you're selling and buying another property this year while we still have 80% bonus appreciation, then it may make sense to do that.
1: Rod, we probably could have thrown uh, the Deferred Sales Trust into this category sure. too, right? Yeah. Kind of a similar thing. I feel like, I can't remember if we did an actual, like a full pot on it, um, but we've certainly talked about it in on various it. Mm-hmm. podcasts over the years and the Deferred Sales Trust, we won't get into the details, but it fits in the same vein as the 1031 exchange. I yeah, would say.
2: pushing that long-term gains tax, down the road, or yeah. long-term gains down the road.
1: Yep. Kara, okay, talk a little bit about donor as donor advised funds. Yeah. So and for on this people... one, make sure you tell them what they are first. Just to, yeah, just because I feel like some of these are like we hear the names of them, but because you and I live in this space, like we have a pretty good idea. Not everybody yeah. necessarily know. Anyway, go
2: for it. So I think a lot of people uh, are involved in charities or, or donate to charities. What a donor advised fund is, is instead of donating directly to the charity, you're actually forming your own fund. You donate to the fund and then from the fund, you make decisions on where to do the investing or not investing, where to to make the charitable contributions. So it's um, it creates a a, well charitable donations are Mm -hmm. tax deductible. Right. Um, But what it does is it actually puts a little more control in, in your own hands. So in other words, um, again, you may be uh, donating the exact same organizations as, as you do now, but you have a little more say in how the money gets used, because it it only makes sense for high high income high uh, donors, high level donors to create a donor advised fund, which, and then that just means that you have a little more say in what happens. So, so in other words, you get the immediate tax deduction when you put it into the fund. The funds may not necessarily be used immediately being donated to the charitable organizations but you continue to have that say and the control over when and what happens on it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um I think it's I think most people uh, as they, you know, get more wealth and influence that kind of thing, it it generally behooves them to be involved. And so I think the donor advice fund gives people an opportunity to be a little bit more involved in kind of what's happening on the long and the short and long-term side of um, their charitable investing.
2: Yeah, and it, it creates donating. a- donating. It's kind of like an, a middle step before like a family foundation. Ultra high net worth people will set up a, a foundation and it's again, very similar to what I just described. In this case, it's not as costly as initially setting it up and ongoing maintenance. Uh, it, it's kind of like a good middle ground between them.
1: Okay, Rod, we titled our list here, Effective Tax Strategies. Mm-hmm. And now as I'm going through it in more detail again, I feel like maybe we should have said tax strategies. I'm not sure all of them are that <laughs> effective, to be totally honest with you. So the next one, municipal bonds. Um, uh-huh. I'm not suggesting it has no use. And, and obviously, if I'm a high income earner, like it might have more benefit than if I'm not. But because of the limited return I get, like, again, the payoff, you have to ask yourself, is it really worth it? Mm-hmm. Again, there could be situations where it does make sense. And there's places like, um, you know, where you, where you're required to invest in certain ways for various reasons. And, you know, I'm thinking of like a um, captive insurance company where mm-hmm. there's rules around how you actually invest money. Yeah. Well, there could be a place for something like that. For most people, it's probably not going to be a part of the overall tax planning process.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, the the reason it's on the list is because when you invest in municipal bonds and then you receive the income from that, it's tax-free income. So hey,
1: wait, Rod, you you mean that when we talk through these things, we should actually let people know <laughs> how they work? Like, I mean. like what I just emphasized for you to do <laughs> on the last one. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Municipal bonds, when you invest in them, it absolutely creates inter- or income-free interest. So that, of course, is the reason. But again, if you're only getting a few percent interest, like it, it's a question. It's questionable. Yeah. Now, the good news is, is today, municipal bonds are probably... I actually haven't looked at them very recently, so I don't mm-hmm. know where they're at today. But uh, with interest rates where they're at, they're uh, probably... Looking a lot better than they have in the past.
2: Yeah, but it's like to your point though, it still goes back to that whole thing. Don't don't give up the long term uh, benefit for for the short term because if you could invest in if, if you're wanting to invest in bonds, you could invest in more things like treasuries or things like that. Compare the rates because the tax savings that you get on the income may or may not make it put you in a better position than if you just paid the tax on on a regular treasury.
1: Okay, Rod, we had a uh, we had a really great client of ours email us recently asking about opportunity zone funds and mm-hmm. it was good timing because I was planning to do a, a, an episode around that. Um, and I still, we still may do that, but this is a good one for this list because it's one that's relatively new. So less people are aware of it. Um, but it has some really significant tax benefits that I do think could be really useful, especially if you're, you know, selling a business or in a situation like that, be uh, because of what the tax benefits actually are, and I don't mm-hmm. have them listed in front of me, so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to attempt to um, talk through what all the tax benefits are. But when we went through it with our client, and when I've kind of studied it on my own, I can, um, well, I agree, I guess I'm confirming that's what mm-hmm. i that they are indeed powerful and useful tools for high income earners. You have to believe in the underlying premise, of course, right? And there are there is some a little bit of controversy on the underlying premise, which is basically that you're investing in underprivileged, like low uh, low income areas, trying to help grow the the idea is to bring them out of poverty, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the question or the controversy is whether people are more focused on the returns or mo- or more focused on the underlying goal, which is to actually help these people, help these neighborhoods you know, bring them out of poverty. And of mm-hmm. course the benefit that they're giving to people to, or the incentive that they're giving for people to do this is like pretty significant tax benefits. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a, that's kind of a high level idea of what opportunity zone funds are, but I think that they're a useful thing for people to be thinking about. And like I said, we might turn around here in the next uh, few months and and do a pod episode on it.
2: Yeah. And in the notes here, we talk about deferring, reducing, or eliminating capital gains tax and that may but but kind of to your point earlier but that's why we're not getting into all the details because there are specific things you have to do to And
1: there's time frames you have to wait yeah. and like there yeah. are it, it's a more detailed more sp- it's not as simple as like you know tax deferred accounts type of thing. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Rod, take us to the next one.
2: Yeah, so the next one is income splitting and this is basically <clears throat> setting up some sort of structure it could include like a family limited partnership or a trust or doing things like family loans, where you you make low interest loans to to other family members. Basically, so that you can distribute the income among multiple family members uh, who are in lower tax brackets. So for example, uh, going back to die with zero, and I want to pass along my my, uh, wealth to my children while I'm living, instead of just waiting till I die, and there's this big inheritance... Well, one of the things I can do while I'm living is by using this kind of tax splitting strategy, uh be, be pushing some of the income to them while they're in lower tax brackets and so that it's not landing on my 1099s or, or on my, you know, tax forms. Okay. Pretty simple.
1: But do you know anybody like is this a is this a viable strategy? Like do people use this? You you yeah. talk to people like a lot of people what are you seeing out there? Are there any people, you know, using it?
2: Yeah. So one one client comes to mind um, and and when, to be honest, when he was first bringing it up, I didn't quite catch the vision of what they were trying to do, but he, for a long time. So he's again, high income uh, physician. And uh, so they have a family limited partnership where they do exactly this for himself and his wife and then his kids. Um, it's, it's kind of spreading the income out. And then later, uh, there was an inheritance. His parents were passing uh, an inheritance to him and, and his children, so they actually set up an additional family limited partnership specific to those dollars, uh, because it would be different decision making, different investing, different things going on for the, those dollars specifically. So, so they're very much using this strategy and have been, you know, for years uh, for this exact reason.
1: Okay, so Rod, is there any reason why people with children as, you know, as your kind of most obvious example wouldn't use the strategy? Like why what's the downside if, if there are any? Complexity you know, maybe?
2: It, yeah, there is a little a level, a level of complexi- complexity and also again this kind of like arms-length uh, removal. So still control but but less like own direct.
1: nothing, control everything. Yeah, right, exactly. That's you, that's your mantra that's if it. you're into the, the right. limited partnerships.
2: Yep. Okay. So okay, cool. Um, and then also you because you're now um making your children beneficiaries now. Um we often get concerns from people about well, what if they're not responsible? What if they just blow it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I mean, if that's a true concern, then that that could be a downside. Um, I think. The thing to do with that is to just try to be as open with your children, teaching them the principles of being responsible, investing, you know, doing it in smart ways. All these, the same strategies, the same reasons why you listen to this podcast and things that, you, that you're learning here and in other places help your children learn those things as well, so that it's it's a passing of the torch. That's not just here. Here's some money, but here's the the knowledge the the strategies, everything that that I am doing to to be a responsible steward, and I am passing all of that on to you.
1: Mm, okay, Rod, it sounds really boring, but could be really <laughs> effective. I hope uh, so. Better be. <laughs>
2: um,
1: if you are going to put the effort in, hey, you know what? It might be interesting yeah. to do an episode uh, and get in delve into that concept in more detail. Yeah, we'll think about that. Uh, okay, Rod, gifting assets. This is obviously one that creates a tax benefits. We can utilize the annual gift tax exclusion. And lifetime gift tax exemption to reduce the size of our taxable estate. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple.
2: Yeah, I'm not right going to get
1: into much on it.
2: Okay, I was just going to say right now that it's roughly fifteen thousand on the on the gift uh, side of mm-hmm. it, the annual gift per person. If you've got if so, you if
1: you're Rod and you've got seven kids, woo! What does that equal out to, Rod? I can't even do ninety well, one hundred five. So you can put one hundred five thousand a year
2: times two because then I can. Oh, yeah, have, times my wife can do it as well. So so thirty yeah. per kid. So yeah. I hope my kids aren't listening to this and like building expectations. But you know, <laughs> I, I'm gonna try and do what I just said in terms They're... of helping to teach them and and that. So all right, I like
1: it. I like it. Okay, Rod, the next one, captive insurance companies. This is this is obviously one we've talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. This is one that I don't even know if I would say it fits into the gray area. I would say that if it's done appropriately, it very much fits into the white area. Yeah. Uh, but but there is a challenge here, where it was so effective, or it is so effective at, you know, reducing taxes, that it ended up uh, getting abused here and there. So mm-hmm. I think there's more scrutiny around um, captive insurance companies today than there has been in the past, and so that's certainly something to keep in mind. Uh, but again, if you are a company that legitimately can use the captive insurance company. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and basically a captive insurance company is just you creating your own, um, you're, you're insuring the, what am I, what's the right way to say it, right? You're You're self-insuring
2: for risks that your normal insurance doesn't cover. Doesn't cover. Thank you. Or or you don't want to have to go, you know, spend all kinds of money to, to get all of those things covered.
1: Yeah. Right. So you're not going to buy insurances on everyone. Instead, you're putting money into this captive insurance company, building it up so that you can, um, cover those yourselves. Now, the benefit, mm-hmm. or one of the benefits, aside from the insurance component, is that there's massive income tax deductions, and we've talked about you know utilizing it in conjunction with other strategies like premium finance to create like another level of income, mm-hmm. um, of basically income elimination in that situation. So, anyway, the long and short of it is, captive insurance are extremely effective if you're a person that legitimately can, uh, and
2: make sense to utilize it. Is that fair? Yeah. Hi. So you're, you have to be business owner. Yes. High income, high revenue inside of the business. And then you're kind of offsetting it at that level.
1: Yeah. And again, you legitimately need to have some risks to that are mm-hmm. necessary to offset. Now the, I don't think that those are probably not that difficult to legitimize. Most right. businesses have all sorts of risks that they're mm-hmm. not naturally, you know, they're not buying insurance for. Um, but then to your point, you've got to feel really comfortable that, you have the predictability of income that you can do it for the time frame necessary right yeah. it's not one of those things that's a single year contribution and then you're out
2: yeah and i have an example on that one the pandemic was actually a very interesting case study on this because people who had captives well let me ask you this how many how many people do you think how many businesses out there as a general rule are carry some sort of insurance against a pandemic probably like, none unless you point have a captive. Zero, zero,
1: like i don't know any i'm sure yeah, there's probably yeah. very few
2: it, but those companies who have had a captive at the time they were tapping into those those resources that that they had built up inside of this kind of self-insured captive insurance company and and they got benefit out of that when when the pandemic hit so
1: well they got the massive initial benefit the tax benefit and then they get the Next massive benefit of actually having some money that they can draw upon when they needed it, yep. where you know, where other places didn't have that that valuable yep. asset to go to. Okay, Rod, HSAs are kind of like boring, but they're but they're good to have, right? So I have um, an HSA and you know put money into it because there's just no really no reason not to mm-hmm. if you're gonna pay for medical expenses. This one's not really specific to high income earners. Let's be sure. let's be real. This is just a simple way to reduce a little bit of taxes by um, using an HSA to pay for your medical expenses. Yep. Simple, straightforward. Rod, talk about charitable
2: remainder trust. Just
1: just a tip of the iceberg on it.
2: Yeah, so charitable remainder trusts. Again, this is uh, for someone who is charitably minded. And <laughs> anticipates... a, This is an important point. Important. <laughs> if it says charitable in it,
1: you should probably assume that there is some necessary like dynamic it's important that within you you have to be a charitable person otherwise you might be a little bit frustrated most of them aren't so valuable that the tax benefits just like totally outweigh the that you're pushing money out the door right yeah so there are there might be a couple but i mean i was thinking rod this is sorry a little tangent but do you remember this is many years ago i think it was warren buffett giving a bunch of money to bill gates the bill gates foundation I might be wrong. Something it might have been the other way around, okay. but one of those two, and it was crazy because I remember him donating massive amount a massive amount of wealth to, uh, and again, I think it was Warren Buffett, but after he did it, his net worth like skyrocketed. So tell mm. me how that works, Rod. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so there but might his- be some like some additional benefits, some uh, some other strategies that. The Warren Buffetts of the world are using <laughs> that I don't know about, um, but usually that's not the case.
2: I think he's that's had a few I mean. times where his net worth skyrocketed too. So,
1: well, that's fair. So it might not have been directly related to it, but it sure felt like it. Mm, I'm going to go right. back and find like an I, article. I'll Yeah, we'll circle back on this. Idea. Okay, all right. okay, okay. Sorry, to <laughs> you. I got I got us totally. Yeah, on no tra- worries. On charitable remainder trust. Yeah, the
2: idea is that you are taking money that. Again, you may otherwise send to a charity or you may like have them in your in your will slash trust to have this money go, but you donate it now. And by donating it now, you create this huge deduction. And then there are some uh, benefits that you can create coming back. So it creates some income coming to you. And then whatever's left goes to the charity when you die, right? There are a few different yeah. variations of this, but, but that's the idea is that, because it's ultimately going to charity, the IRS, the government, says you, you get some be, uh, tax benefit now and then there'll be some more later and when you die.
1: Rod, there's crits, crats, and cruts. I know all of those at the very least. So uh, why don't you get into like a detailed account of what each one of those are?
2: <laughs> each of them, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, Roth conversions. This is another kind of useful tool that we have as high income earners in certain situations, mm-hmm. right? Like generally doing a Roth conversion, if I'm already making a ton of money <laughs> is not like overly useful. Um, so what, what people will generally recommend is that using a Roth conversion is most effective if we have uh, low, like a low income year yeah. or maybe I'm making a transition in my job or something. And so my income's down, that would be a great time to, Do a Roth conversion, which just means that I'm converting my traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. I am paying taxes. I just don't have to pay the 10% penalty as it moves from point A to point B. So I'm still paying taxes. The benefit, of course, is that I'm now getting into a Roth position. And if I'm someone that believes taxes are likely to go up in the future rather Mm -hmm. than down, which, of course, we kind of all think is more likely than not. But if I'm that person, then there can be a real benefit. And it can also be a nice way to kind of balance against other qualified assets. So if I've got a bunch of IRA money and that's what I'm looking at going into my retirement years with, um, it might be valuable and useful to have some Roth money to kind of offset that uh, tax ramification from being in qualified plans. Yeah. Because having less tax deductions in the older ages.
2: Right. And because for, for a lot of people who have those IRAs, but then they have created streams of income in other places, et cetera, then those are the last dollars they're going to use, right? The money that's in the IRA, because now it's all of a sudden taxable. And instead of just letting that pass and then all, all that tax going on to the kids, then you can be strategic in, in doing some Roth conversions, even in your quote unquote retirement years to reduce that burden. Like, Yeah. Again, being strategic on it so that you pay less tax now than, than would be paid later when when you died and the kids take over it.
1: Rod, or you could do a Roth life insurance conversion. Oh man, yep. You remember we talked about the Roth yeah, life? We did. And hey, uh, what oh, I Ed Slot? Name now, Ed. Ed likes them better. Yep. So I'm just saying let's that's, yep. that's yep. go Ed. back
2: and look at our Ed Slot likes life insurance better than IRAs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and he does. Uh, yep. Okay, Rod. Why is an install what what's an installment sell and why is it a useful tax strategy
2: yeah so if you're selling so you're selling a business and and you just sell it all like let's say it's whatever 10 million dollars and and you take it down as a lump sum right now the full tax burden lands now in this year if instead you are able to sell it over time, let's say over 10 years. And again, we've, have, we've had clients where they, where they were doing this and businesses are true on this, but even like real estate and other things like that. So um, you sell it over, say, again, a 10-year installment plan. And the risk of that is, well, you're assuming that the the business stays you know, viable, that the, the real estate, whatever, things don't go wonky there. But the the real huge benefit on it is instead of again I'm just gonna oversimplify this but instead of 10 million landing in your lap today, it's a million a year for 10 years and the, the tax burden on that is is much more manageable.
1: Well, so you're moving I mean you're not paying like I'm trying to think like at the end of the day let's just let's just play this out though I mean you're right. I mean, Logically it makes sense, but I guess it depends on the size of the cell and where you're at from income and other places. Mm -hmm. But it's not like in that situation, Rod, you're moving you're moving like from long-term or from short-term capital gains to long-term capital gains, right? If you've already held the business, then
2: Yeah, I think it's gonna be in conjunction with some of these other strategies that are on the list. Because for example, if if I get the 10 million, well that's that's a much larger um, you know, whatever, like I have to find a large property, but I'm probably not wanting to do that. I'm going to, want to find multiple. So mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, I'm right like now it. trying to find whatever five or mm-hmm. six different properties. Whereas if I spread it out, then each year I just say, okay, I, I have to make a major decision or a couple of major decisions rather than, you know, doing it all at once. Yeah.
1: Well, Rod, that's why we need to, uh, that's why everyone should attend the webinar so they can learn how to plan, prepare, and profit. From a business sale, right? Brilliant. That's why we have Rod here to teach us this good stuff. Okay. Um, I think that was good though. Like, I hadn't really thought about it in conjunction with that, but let's just say theoretically now I've got a million dollars and I'm using, again, whether it's qualified plans, whether it's a captive insurance company, like whatever it is, mm-hmm. now I can plan accordingly and like literally prepare for those each year, know what's coming instead of, like you said, which, by the way, happens all the time, we get these, we get a call or an email from somebody who says, I'm selling my business next week. What should I do to eliminate taxes or minimize yeah. taxes? And we're like, well, what you should have done is started preparing for this like <laughs> a couple years ago. Uh-huh. But since we're here, we'll see if we can throw some stuff together, right? And That's- to compound now, that,
2: it, it often happens like mid-October or mid-November without a lot yeah. of time to, and to do much people,
1: about it. People don't, Always know that their business is going to sell, sure. like that they're that that's even an intention. And so mm-hmm. it, it can certainly come up out of nowhere, the right situation, the right timing, right opportunity. Um, but that's why we kind of try to emphasize like just start your business with the end in mind, do the yeah. things along the way so that when that when that comes up, you you have a pretty good idea, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, but this is again a good reason why it makes sense to uh come to our live webinar next month. Okay. Rod, talk to us about deferred comp plans. I love my deferred comp plan, by the way. I'm a big fan. Yeah.
2: Basically you're deferring a portion of your income today, salary, bonus, whatever, uh, to, to a future time. So you're reducing the, the current tax and then you get to manage it a little more as you're taking it out in the future. So kind of like yeah. the 401k, kind of like those, those kind of tr- traditional qualified plans in, in a sense, like in that, the, the tax treatment of it, but falls under a completely different set of rules um, as far as like who can participate. All those things. There, there's a lot more flexibility on this with you know your your key employees, top hat types of employee. Uh, you can
1: put way more money into them, um, yep. as an example, if it, yep. uh, if it may. So, but Rod, you make a valid point, or at least kind of inferred a valid point that they are like 401ks, which very much have upside and downside. Right. So in my case, I love my deferred comp plan because I don't actually put any money of my own into it. The company just puts a bunch of money into the deferred comp and, and, you know, I get access to it over time, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like, just like a side fund that's happening. So from that standpoint, it's kind of nice. I don't mind it. If I were to be getting that money myself, I likely would not be interested in creating even like a, Deferred comp plan at at our business level, just because you know, even though it's painful to pay the tax, like there's probably other investments and opportunities that I would use first before I went to a deferred comp plan. Again, that doesn't mean though it can't be useful. And and if you're somebody again, like I think it fits kind of into the defined benefit plan. If you're someone who is a business owner who maybe doesn't have as much savings as they'd like to, Mm -hmm. a deferred deferred comp plan could be incredibly powerful. So, situationally, it can be incredibly useful, but that's just kind of my two cents as it relates really yeah. to deferred yep. comp plans. Okay, Rod, we don't want to forget self employment deductions. This is a big one, and we're now bringing into like officially the business ownership element.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We hit it again. We put on this a few times, but, but the idea here is that if you own a business, then you have the opportunity to get deductions on on expenses related to the business. And so, um, you know, if, if you work out of your home, there's the home office deduction. If you drive your car and, and it has any relation to, to the business you're doing, then the, the, the car can be owned by the business. The expenses related, the car can be, you know, fall under that, etc. If you, you know, go to jazz games and, and you have a suite or, or whatever, right? Like, like these are, this is why, uh, well, I, I, I truly believe this is why, uh, tickets to professional events are a lot more expensive today than they were in the past is businesses can afford to pay they they want to to pay for those tickets and it's tougher mm. on the individual level uh, because of that that's interesting rod
1: i hadn't thought about that but you're probably right right big yeah. business except the upper happy bowl
2: to... <laughs> you yeah. can get in yeah. the upper bowl okay because they're not yeah. well about those
1: yeah tickets. it's like five five dollars for the nosebleeds yeah um Actually, Rod, if your team's good, even the nosebleeds are going to be like right. twenty-five bucks. So it's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, but I'm guessing people didn't tune in to hear me analyze <laughs> ticket prices. Ticket, price. right. ticket prices. Uh, and I was thinking about sporting events, but you know, you could take that. Lots of different sure. angles. Okay, Rod. Oil and gas is another one that we've talked about many times. Whenever we mm-hmm. hit on tax deductive strategies, tax reduction strategies oil and gas has to be in there because it creates really significant tax deductions with the caveat that uh, it also has high risk, right? Sure. There's, there's things that we can do today. Like I, again, I've emphasized this before oil and gas has gotten better. Like they're it's more effective, more predictive than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not as much of a shot in the dark. Uh, but I think, you know, by all accounts, it's, one of the more kind of risky plays from a tax standpoint on this list. Is that fair?
2: Yep. That'd be very. Now, if you get a dollar for dollar. Sure.
1: Then maybe still worth it. Right.
2: Right. Right. If you can do that and it's like, well, I'm, I'm offsetting all of that.
1: If it's like, put it it there or literally give it it to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like I, I think there's some truth to that. Now, I don't think that that's just like, A hard and fast rule. I don't pretend to be an expert as it relates to the taxation of oil and gas. We just know enough to be dangerous. But I do know that there are at least situations where you can get a dollar for dollar deduction, which again, in that situation, why not put it there? Because it's like, I know I'm, I know I'm giving it to the IRS and I'm not getting it back. I'm certain Mm -hmm. of that. Um, If I put the money in a speculative oil and gas deal, I get the tax deduction. Well, I might, I might get something back out of it. Even that's probably better. So, something to consider. Yep. Uh, okay, Rod, this is, this is an important one. Um, something we talk about every once in a while. I mm-hmm. mean, occasionally. Rod, talk a little bit about cash value life insurance.
2: Cash value life insurance. So, it is taxed like a Roth. So, you, so money I'm putting in is after tax, but then it grows tax deferred. It comes out tax free, whether I'm using it um, while I'm living whether, you know, for investing, for retirement, uh, long-term care type of type of stuff. And then when I pass away, that also is paid out income tax-free. So it's, we talk about how it's, I like a Roth, but I'm not getting married to Uncle Sam. I don't have the same rules, limitations, et cetera, that come with traditional Roth accounts. I, I get to write my own numbers and, and build it out. And then of course, in what we're doing, if I'm using it as the investment optimizer, then it's, it's actually working for me in creating an additional huge benefit along with these tax benefits. And then with the uh, Capital Avalanche, it really is geared toward creating that, that future retirement income. And again, all that income is going to come out income tax-free. So I can balance the taxable income that I'll have in my retirement years with these income tax-free dollars. And be in a much lower tax bracket. They say you will be in a higher tax bracket. They say, there are those who say you all will be in tax uh, a lower tax bracket when you retire than while you're working. And that's especially true if you plan and make that happen, which you can do in, in situations like this.
1: Mm. Okay, and and this is like life insurance that is just like very most core simple mm-hmm. um, with its core properties. Let's call it that. Yep. Rod, for better or for worse, life insurance does have a tendency to be involved in some of the more aggressive tax strategies that exist out there. I'm thinking about historically like 419 plans, mm-hmm. which are 419 welfare benefit plans that were you know, people buying lots of life insurance to basically a way, which it ended up being more a way to buy life insurance on a tax deductible basis than it was actually for the welfare benefit plan. And so the IRS really didn't like that very much. Right. Um, and we've seen some of the, but there are some really, really good ones. I'm thinking about like the Restricted Property Trust, yep. um, but we have a friend, I can never remember his name, Ken, Ken, yep. Ken, the creator of it. But uh, Restricted Property Trust is a really good example of some a life insurance-based tax strategy that stands on really solid footing. And then of course, we can use these principles and concepts together. I'm thinking about the, you know, family banking where we're creating generational wealth by Mm -hmm. utilizing not just the living tax benefits, but we're now amplifying it by taking it up a notch by using the death benefit to create generational. So there's like a lot of ways that life insurance can be extremely valuable from a tax um, reduction perspective. And that's not just coming because this is, a big part of what we do, although it is, it Mm -hmm. just is like, it just is really powerful from that standpoint. And Rod, here's the best part. It can be even cooler when you add an additional element to it.
2: Yeah. And so you just actually brought up uh, a point that, okay, wait,
1: wait, 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 Rod, I just teed you up for that additional, that additional element.
2: I know. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) I didn't want to leave. So before you did that, okay, you, you triggered something. Okay. Will... Okay.
1: So get back to that. But then that was cool. We'll call that a tease. So going back to <laughs> what coming. is that additional it's element? Coming. Rod's going to get to that. I just wasn't sure if you knew what it was. Yeah. Turns out you did. Okay. 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 My bad.
2: No worries. So the, when you talk about the family banking, you know what we didn't include in that? And and this is like a, a cardinal error because in, earlier in this podcast, we said to not forget the long-term tax benefits of strategies you get involved with. Well, mm-hmm. we just talked about how money going into life insurance policies after tax. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're using the family banking generational wealth building strategy, you're taking tax-free dollars, the death benefit to go into the next phase of it. Tax-free. Tax-free oh, going man. in. Tax-free, it's tax-free out. It's tax-free
1: upon tax-free. <laughs> this is Velocitized tax freedom.
2: Man, all right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't. I it. didn't want to let that go before okay, I got you're to right. the okay. the bonus. Let me tee you back here. up. Okay. Let's let me, me tee
1: you back up. Okay. So now here's the great part about life insurance, Rod. You can add an an additional element to it, and it makes
2: it really awesome. Yes. So our bonus item today is using leverage. Use leverage where leverage. appropriate to compound the tax benefits. Yes, of the life insurance. we we'll obviously talk about that in Capital Avalanche, premium finance in, in, in all forms that way. Uh, and But I would say that's true of, of not all 100%. of the categories because not all of the categories can include leverage. But to the extent that you can, add by adding leverage, you're compounding the tax benefits you're able to create.
1: Okay, Rod, dare I correct you and say conservative leverage? conservative leverage i love it conservative leverage that's right rod conservative leverage can i just tell you i'm always a little bit nervous that because we talk about how much we love leverage as mm-hmm. a wealth building tool the people might take that to the extreme so for that reason we feel like it's critical we're going to implore people to use to use conservative leverage so that they don't end up in that you know, horrible situation that so many people ended up in that 2008, 2009 timeframe. Like there's just no reason to get, even if things are awesome, like even if your leverage is just crushing it, I would say it still makes sense to be conservative. Okay. So conservative leverage. I love the idea of that, but to your point, Rod, leverage can be utilized in many different things. We talk about it most often in real estate Mm -hmm. and that's, that's like the most common way to use it. We talk about it in life insurance, but there's a lot of ways to use leverage, right? So using leverage, man, I just love the idea. It's 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 like the ultimate uh, enhancer of pretty much everything. Yep. Uh, okay, Rod, is there anything else that we want to talk about?
2: I I think those are the those are the points.
1: Okay, Rod, let me ask this question. This is maybe a tough one, but okay. if if I were to ask you, what are your key takeaways from our conversation around this, what stands out to you?
2: Yeah, so I would I would hope that people coming away from this would have a little broader perspective of what opportunities are out there to get some tax advantages, right? It's probably not a new idea to people listening to this, that, that they exist and that they want to, to take advantage of those. Um, but the hope is that by um, kind of listing some out, talking through contextually what's happening, that that would plant the ideas uh, that they can allow people to just do better. Okay. I love it. Well said,
1: Rodney. Thanks everybody for listening to the Money Insights Podcast and uh, we'll catch you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.